0: Good morning. I really feel privileged again to speak to you guys today. I want to uh, start with a key statement that we, we had last week in John 7, just before we go into John 8. John seven thirty seven through 39. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not given because Jesus had not been glorified. I was thinking this morning, I am so glad. You know, I know sometimes I've heard people talk about, oh, if I could have been born in this time, if I could have lived in this time. I remember one guy said, I wish I could have lived during the Revolutionary War time. I could see myself with a musket and, you know, just fighting for the, fighting for the new, uh, you, know, the, you know, the new nation. And I was thinking, you know, we've been going over the scriptures and we see how those people who had the opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ missed it. And how often, uh, maybe you can even think of a time you were in, in the presence of someone who said something maybe profound, but at the moment it didn't register. Maybe you were even in the presence of someone famous or something, and you know, you, somehow you, you didn't connect with the moment. But I'm so thankful for the Word of God because it connects us to Jesus. And the farther we get away from Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, the closer we get to the end of all times, we have the opportunity to cap on the mistakes that other people have made. We get to cap on what is going on in the Word of God and even be able to uh, grow and change from the mistakes that we have made. And I feel like this is so powerful. You know, we look at Jesus and the disciples, they looked at Jesus... And they were so excited, some of them were so excited because they thought he was going to now take over the world and be the greatest king and kick out the Romans. And we we see that as Jesus began to tell them that he was going to die, and even as we were reading the whole popularity, everyone started moving against Jesus, and the silent majority kept silent instead of standing up for Jesus, that Jesus came about and he died and he did his greatest work. But when you think of it, what was he trying to do? He was trying to bring us back into such power with God that he died and just like a human being and people that we know who have died, people who we love so much and have been so dear to us, they've died and they go and we grieve. Jesus died, but as soon as he was dead, he sent back the Holy Spirit. He came in another form. He came to reveal power. He wasn't like a dead person that passed off the scene, but now he is so prevalent. He is so powerful. He is so there for all of us. And I feel like if we could catch that revelation today, we would have a new excitement about how we're living our life, how we're facing fears and different things that are going on. Remember how Jesus, when he's telling his stories... In that time that he lived, he was always relating that were, to things that were very understandable for them. Food, water, light. We talked about Jesus Christ being the water that quenches that thirst that is down deep in our spirit. And how many know once we ask Jesus Christ to come into our life, if we give him any time at all, there is created in us such an insatiable appetite for God. There's a hunger that begins to start, and it's a hunger that nothing else will quench. And we find ourselves that as we struggle against the distractions in our own flesh and the problems that we face every day, that deep down inside, the more we give ourselves to God, there is something that is just that generated thirst that we want more of Him, that we want to receive more of Him, especially as you grow older in Christ. The older you get and the more problems and things you go through, you realize, yeah, I could have an up-high day today, but boy, in a moment... Something's going to discourage me. And you begin to realize that real life is in Jesus Christ. Real life is in connecting with the Holy Spirit and having that life force vibrating in your spirit and bringing you into that place of interaction and then confidence as you face the, the negativity that is around us in the world. The title of our message today is Jesus, the Light of the World, as we go into John 8. Our, scre- our, our key scripture today is John eight twelve? Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, "I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life." We finished off John seven, Jesus being uh, rejected and uh, arguing. They're arguing about the origin of you know where Jesus was born and who he came from, and then. The religious leaders were saying, well, you know, this guy, Jesus, uh, we know where he he comes from. And Galilee, there's no important people that come from there. And they humanized Jesus. And they failed to recognize that he came from God. He came from heaven. And he was going back to God. So that's where we, we left John 7. And then the transition, you know, we had just come to the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. And remember, we talked last week about the Feast of Tabernacles that uh, one of the things in the feast was they were celebrating uh, the different things that happened as the children of Israel were kept in the wilderness and how Jesus was that rock that... The water flowed out of the rock, but Jesus was the living water. Jesus was the natural water. He He was behind the the provision of water for the people while they were in the wilderness. Remember we talked about how in the Feast of Tabernacles, that priest would go to that well and draw the water. And then he'd come and do a, a like a ceremony where he'd pour water on the altar. And then on that seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles, he'd go up. Remember seven days? Seven times rather. He made seven trips to the well, and he came and we'd pour the water. And then remember, Jesus got up and said, I am, you know, that living water, and whoever is thirsty, come to me. And it was an incredible a word picture because they had just been seeing the priest splash that water out. And then Jesus is telling them, I want to quench your spiritual thirst, I want to fill that spiritual thirst thirst I want to take away the fear about tomorrow I want to release in you such a confidence and such a presence of God has come to you when the Holy Spirit comes that you will never thirst when you're born again your spirit will be so alive and connected with me that nothing can steal that you may get knocked down for a moment you may get discouraged for a time but you're going to get up you're going to get up again you may wallow in self pity for a few minutes but you're going to get up because something inside you're going to say you know what I just can't live like this because something inside because you're spirit born believer because you believe in Jesus Christ you're your spirit will not let you wallow in that, in that self-pity for very long. And there just comes a turning inside of us and we rise up again. We get up because of that living water that comes and flows into our, our spirit. That connection spirit to spirit. God is spirit. We're spirit born. There's that connection and that life flows through the spirit. In John uh, 8.1 as we start, the scribes and the Pharisees are setting a trap for Jesus. And the first verse says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Commentaries aren't saying anything much, but as we've read about Jesus in the past and we know what his uh, procedures are, when he goes to the Mount of Olives and he's going early, I'm sure Jesus was praying. Again, Jesus being all God and all man, just like us. He was tapping into the presence of God. He was being filled, continually filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. He was getting marching orders for the day. He was being filled with that prophetic word that he was going to give as he went back into the temple, as he went back against, again, right being right around his enemies. And he was going to go and he was going to speak to the people. Verse 2, now early in the morning, he came again into the temple And all the people came to him. Remember I said the Amplified? I love it because it's Amplified. Well, it said that he came to the crowds. And it's interesting. First thing in the morning, he was there. First thing in the morning, people were so uh, connected. They had just finished the feast. They were so connected. And uh, there was such a spiritual hunger. There was such a presence of God released Because of what Jesus was saying, these final teachings he was doing to the people. And remember, we've been talking, Jesus is going to go to the cross in just a few months. In the spring, he's going to go to the cross and die. And so I believe there was a drawing of the Holy Spirit of the sincere seeker. And the crowd was up early in the morning and they were at the temple. They were at the temple. They wanted to hear from Jesus. They wanted some spiritual truth and they wanted some spiritual life. They had a deep hunger that was just beginning to be aroused and they weren't getting enough just hearing about Jesus. They wanted to be in his presence and their ears were open to hear what he was going to say to them. And he said, it says he sat down and he taught them. You might think about the Feast of Tabernacles. And being in the presence of God. You know, we're, we're, we live in a, a day and age and you listen to those who uh, take surveys of the churches, Barna and all those people, and they've been saying for years, you know, the church is eventually going to shut the door unless God does something because people are getting distracted. Because the world, Satan is offering so many distractions. Uh, how many times maybe the biggest problems that happen in your home is on a Sunday and you've got to stop and take care of a water leak or, or some other major catastrophe going on in our house. There's always distraction to keep us going into the house of God. But these people, they didn't have movie theaters. They didn't have uh, all these distractions and all the good things. They didn't have TV. And after they worked all week and, you know, struggled to make their bread and to eat, they went to church. They wanted to hear about God. Life was hard. And really, a lot of people, all they had to look forward to was death. And the Jews had a faith in God, and they believed that God was the God of the hereafter and the eternal. And He believed that they believed that you know God was the thing to spend time with. So here they are. You're, I'm trying to get you in this atmosphere of why they were in church, but because they went to church, they're meeting Jesus. And I believe, and we pray earnestly that you guys here today are going to experience Jesus. Our biggest prayer, our prayer today, my prayer constantly for you is that somehow today there's going to be something that Jesus speaks to you. There's going to be some kind of spiritual life that's imparted to you that you will have a boldness to get up and believe and keep living for Jesus every day of your life. That tomorrow, that even as you kind of maybe even have an understanding of what's going on at work and what you're facing, that somehow there's going to be a revelation tomorrow. There's going to be an answer and you might even be the person that brings a new idea that's going to uh, bless your company and bless other people. Verse 3, Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Remember, we said that this is a trap they're laying for Jesus. Remember our last few verses as we ended chapter 7? Let me remind you. What were they telling, telling the people? They were telling the people, This is a deceiver. And they were calling Jesus a deceiver. Now, one day later, oh, teacher, can you imagine imagine the hypocritical thing that's going on here? Jesus knows their heart. He knows their intent. He knows they're trying to kill him. And now uh, they're they're thinking they're going to catch Jesus in in this thing with the woman caught in adultery. Verse 5. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Can you, can you imagine the kind of the wink? Like, you know, you, you're, you're going along, the little story's being told and you're trying to trap somebody and the guys are in it kind of look, look at each other like, oh, see how I is this one. <laughs> they said, but what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something in which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. And when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Back in Deuteronomy 17, when the law was written, most was given. It said that the hands of the witnesses must be the first to throw a stone or make a move to uh, bring judgment on a person. So it was no light thing to uh, be one who brought an accusation against someone. I mean, you really had to believe and know that this person was guilty of something because you were the first one who was going to make that judgment against them. To me, that would be a, a very heavy moral thing to do. I, I hear people who have had to push the buttons in the gas chamber and the electric chair in the past. It was a heavy responsibility to that, be that person that makes that move to take someone's life. Matthew Henry wrote this. Jesus aimed to bring not only the prisoner to repentance by showing her his mercy, but the prosecutors too, by showing them their sins. They sought to ensnare him. Jesus sought to convince and convert them. Jesus is always working both ends. He's the perfect recycler. He is not only wanting to save the woman out of sin, but he's wanting to save the self-righteous out of the path they're on because their hearts are so close to him, they're on their way to hell. And oh, how horrible it would be to be religious your whole life and to try to uh, live for a God or a religion and then find out at the end that you're doomed to hell because you got it wrong. Jesus is working their conscience. Here's verse 8. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience... Went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Matthew writes this about the conscience Conscience is God's deputy in the soul, and one word from him will set it to work. I mean, sometimes we're afraid of conviction, and sometimes we're afraid of our con- conscience, because I-, I think sometimes, especially the older we get as Christians, When we find ourselves doing something, again, the enemy starts hammering us with guilt. And so sometimes we're afraid of our conscience. But when God awakens our conscience, that's the way and that's the path where we're going to be free from whatever we're doing wrong. Because when we truly submit to the the conscience which God is awakening and bringing us to conviction, then we can say, God, you're right. I am wrong. I'm sinning. God, forgive me. And that's where forgiveness and then repentance can come. And the very thing that is uh, snared us or taking us a different way can be dealt with because the Holy Spirit comes to set us free. There's no condemnation in Christ. Another key message that Jesus gives us in these passages today. Verse 10, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Matthew Henry writes this. It is foolish for those who are under convictions to go away from Jesus Christ. For he is the only one who can heal the wounds of conscience. You know, sometimes we try to make amends or uh, if we've been in Jesus very long, we try to do more religious works. But really, repenting is, is where it's at. Humbling ourselves. You know, going to a person and apologizing if you have to. Jesus, um, well, Matthew Henry throws this out. You know, when they're not responding to the wounds of their conscience, to whom will they go? If they don't take this opportunity, not only are they convicted, obviously conviction is going on. There's been an awakening by the Spirit and their God consciousness, which is really a key thing. Again, it's another opportunity for them as religious leaders to catch what Jesus is trying to do. I believe there's something was really stirring in their heart. It was an opportunity for them to really turn on their own religiousness and really get on Jesus' side. Kind of like be like Nicodemus. Join the few who are starting to speak out for Jesus. Sin no more, another incredible thing. You know, we talked about this just a uh, few months ago about the power in Jesus saying, go and sin no more that there was two people he said that to in the Bible, go and sin no more. That man who was a cripple who was healed, and he says to this woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Again, a power release that goes on uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit that sets you free from the bondages and the addictions of sin. Verse 8, 11. She answered, no one, Lord, no one is accusing me. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go on your way, and from now on, sin no more. Matthew Henry comments, Christ will not condemn those who, th- though they have sinned, will go and leave their life of sin. Pretty powerful, pretty, pretty encouraging, huh? And sometimes the enemy would, would torment us or say, you know, you've been in this so long, it's too late for you. Oh, you've been a Christian for a long time, but you're still in this? It's too late. That's not conviction. That's condemnation from the devil. Jesus paid for our sins and he paid for us to have the freedom to walk away from those um, moral sins that affect our, our lives. Jesus is going to make another statement, another I am statement. And whenever he says I am, he's really pulling on their religious strings because I, he's identifying himself with God, with Jehovah, with the One who was revealed to the children of Israel, that remember I said last week how Moses, when he got the revelation of the I Am, it was God was telling him, "You go tell the children of Israel, this is my name, I Am, I'm God." And so he's now using; he is really, I mean, talking about uh, really bringing the separation, his truth, and the things that we were saying. He kept widening the gap, and he cr- kept increasing the anger upon those who were rejecting his message. In 8.12 it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Again, this is another key statement he's making. Remember, the Feast of Tabernacles is over, and this is the next day. Well, during the Feast of Tabernacles, besides the water ceremony, there was the light ceremony. And picture yourself, maybe think of the, the longest period of time. Maybe, Kevin, when you were in <laughs> when you were, when Katrina, hit, you knew what it was like not to have power. Think of it. You're back in that century, and there is no electricity. The only light is from candles or some oil lamps. And so it's dark. I mean, when the sun goes down, it's dark. The Feast of Tabernacles was at autumn. It was the time of year of the fall equinox when the length of of day and night were about the same. And so when, during the feast uh, of lights or the feast of tabernacles, which was this light ceremony, there was these four huge uh, bowls of oil. Then there was 12 other bowls that you had to go up on ladders to get to. And they were filled with oil and uh, I'm thinking this is clean underwear, but it says the underwear of the priest, they would tear and make, they would make wicks. And then they would put them in the oil that were up, and they'd light them. And through the limestone, uh, uh, you know, windows and stuff, you you could see the glow in the city of Jerusalem as the temple lights were lighted. And so they had a visual, think of it, they're used to seeing dark, at dark, it's dark. And I'm telling you, you know what, you ever had to use the candle to try to find your way? Excuse me, you would trip over yourself anyway. That's almost like that light is enough to blind your eyes and keep you from seeing what's ahead of you. And so there was an incredible light in the temple, and it said that men and uh, Levites went through the streets with torches and they sang and they danced. There was a rejoicing, and again it was a, a form and a shadow of the light that God was bringing to people. So they were rejoicing in this light. Here it is nighttime, and man, they're out, they're out enjoying the light because they could see. It was illuminated. So Jesus is standing up saying this. And this was done also in the court of women in the temple. It's interesting that that this woman is accused right here in the temple, in the court of women. And Jesus is declaring that she is free and clean. The light of the word has, world has just come in. He's penetrated the darkness. He's pushed it away. He's asking people to come and follow Him. He's asking people to leave their spiritual... Uh, Uh, mindsets and the way they think on the shelf and come and partake of him the living jesus the living light there is going to be new revelations revelation has now breaking out i mean they have a physical jesus they have someone who's going to take them out of darkness there's going to be someone who's going to give them hope for their future and and the presence of god in the problems that they deal with and so it was like an incredible time and so wow here he is again he's identifying with something that they understand I want to uh, backtrack to a couple couple of weeks back when we did John 3.19. Jesus said, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. It's a trick of the enemy to hold us in darkness when we know it's wrong. But when we go against the, the darkness that's trying to trap us or keep us out of fellowship or keep us in sin or keep us from going and fellowshipping with each other, when we deny that and boldly come to God like that woman caught in adultery and when we come into the light and receive forgiveness, we separate ourselves from darkness. We allow God to keep separating the darknesses that really so easily attach us to our own nature. In Psalms 1828, the psalmist said, You light my lamp. Lord, you will enlighten my darkness. Sins get so uh, deep in our heart. They can be so just entrenched in our soul. Things that we've gone through. Things that have happened to us. Even as a Christian, we wonder, How could that have happened to me? How could that have happened to me? If you really love me. We are living in a fallen world. Satan is a thief. He wants to kill, he wants to steal, and destroy. The only way out is through Jesus Christ. We have to pass through this life, and eventually, we're going to have to die. Jesus said, In this world, you're going to have tribulations. Get a mindset, you're going to have problems. And if we have that mindset that we're going to have problems, but also the mindset that Jesus is in us to overcome, then no matter what tries to slam us down, it's not from God it's because we're in a fallen world, but it's Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit in us who's going to help us through that. That somehow we're going to look back at these times and this whatever we're going through and we're going to have a victory even though it was very painful. In John 1, 5, it says, light shining in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness does not understand it. Even Satan Even the God of this world does not even understand what's going on in the spiritual realm. He has such a hatred and an anti-God heart that all he wants to do is destroy God. He wants to destroy God's people. But he doesn't understand the light. The day he left the light, the day pride rose up on him, he distanced himself from the greatest there ever was. He distanced himself from his very creator, I have a real, uh, Deanna was telling me about a real real thing in the Jewish heritage about marriage, and I just wanted her to share that right here because I feel like, like it goes with light so well.
1: Good morning. Um, you know, the, the ten virgins in the gospel, uh, five, were, five were wise Five were silly, and the wise ones were the ones that got prepared. They would—they were the virgins that were waiting for the bridegroom. And so, you know, I don't know that they still do this today, but back in the day, what they would do is when the bride was getting prepared, she'd sit on a stool, and all the ladies would start off with her, her, her bath and her makeup and her body art, her hair, getting her hair did. And they'd sit around, and she never spoke, but they would, they would, they would, um, like, like, like roasting you, you know, they would go around and, and just share their love for you and the things in you that they see, and they would do that clear until, you know, almost the middle of the night, and where the bridegroom was, is what he would do is he would go around and mingle with all the men, you know, as they got ready, um, When uh, the bridegroom was ready, what they would do is they would form a line and they would start lighting their lamps as they went out. And so as soon as they see the bride come out, the bridegroom come out, the neighbors start coming. You know, and, and they don't have these street lights out there, it's dark. And they start yelling, He's coming, he's coming. So they start running with their lamps and they start getting behind the line. So then the the bride hears that he's coming, so it'd be like if we were all here, okay, and I'm the bride. <laughs> we'd go, and we'd get in a line, and we'd start lighting our, our lamps, and we'd run out into the parking lot, and you would see never-ending lamps coming towards you. You know, and it'd start growing and just getting bigger. And just imagine how beautiful that is. Um, what happened was the five silly lamps, the five silly virgins didn't have enough oil for their lamps. So they're asking the wise, well, give me some of your oil. And uh, the, the five wise virgins said, uh, no. No better go get some because if not, you know, those feasts, they lasted days, right? It's like, you're going to go home early (laughs) because here's the thing. As much as I love you, I, I can't give you my oil because the oil in our lamps is Jesus in us. And Jesus said, you weren't prepared when they got back with their oil. He said, you weren't ready. You weren't even waiting for me because you didn't have your oil.
0: I'm sure glad uh, Deanna takes care of this building. She gives us lots of nuggets during the week. Psalms 27 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Again, the intimidation of the enemy. We are light bearers. We've asked Jesus Christ to come into our life. Our spirit is born again. We are our life. We are light bearers. Whatever darkness comes against you, whatever opposition, it's not from God. But it's part of what God is going to use everything that you go through because you're His child and He loves you. He's going to use everything you go through to let the light shine brighter. You should come up upon all of us. should come a great encouragement about in being in Jesus Christ about standing for Him. Because we are living in a world that's moving towards Revelation's end. And who knows, it may not even come in our lifetime, but what if it does? If we would get excited about just living every day and taking time with Jesus and growing spiritually and and having a hope and a faith through life and through what we face we will be so encouraged. That light will increase. When you're discouraged and you walk in light, the people around you that you affect with that light will turn around and encourage you back because what they see going on. I, and I'm not talking about just being religious. You know, I'm glad you all come, but it's what you do when you leave. Like Deanna said, it's about you and Jesus. You can listen to every message that's on the internet. You can listen to every theology thing. But unless you're taking time to build with Jesus, you're just being like these Pharisees. They were rich in intellect and knowledge, but they had no heart. They had no relationship with Jesus. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to build into your life truth for right where you're at. He wants to give you a challenge for right where you're at. He wants you to do something right where you're at that will build upon a faith. I was thinking about my life. I mean, over 50 years, 51 years I've been, since I accepted Jesus, 51 years. He's been working on me. If I was to know the first I accepted Jesus, I'd be here now. I'd have quit because it had been too overwhelming. But little by little, worshiping Jesus, putting him first, going to church when I didn't want to go to church, something began to change in my life. This something, this kingdom of God kept growing and growing, and the roots went down when I didn't want them to go down. When I was in my uh, my twenties and I wanted to rebel, I couldn't rebel. There was more in my spirit than there was in my flesh. You know, I remember being held in forms like concrete. You know, you, you have to before you pour concrete, you put those forms out, and the, you pour that you pour the, the the concrete and it sets up, and then you can take the forms out. Different things we go through. God puts forms around us and He holds us in this place as as we're getting solid, and then when He takes the forms away. It, it's not going to shake. I can remember being in my 20s, God dealing with lust, God dealing with different things that I really didn't deal with. I was, I was a good Christian person. But I had to deal with all those things that everyone deals with. doesn't matter how much sin you go out and do or how much sin you deal with in your heart. It's still sin. But God has the ability to change us and transform us without having to go experiment with and experience all that the world has. We have an incredible opportunity to keep following Jesus. And I think fear is a great enemy in our day. Fear about finances. Fear about the future. How many felt the earthquake Saturday morning? Excuse me, did you think this might be the big one they're always talking about? And I was calling Jesus. Dory says, what are you doing? I go, every time there's an earthquake, I call on Jesus. I say, Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. You know what? If we have the big one, we'll live through it. But I don't necessarily want it. So when I start feeling shaken, I'm going to be calling on Jesus that we don't have the big one that they say we're going to have. If we don't use it, what good is it? But I think it's time for us to rise up and be like Deanna was saying, that we all are carrying that light, that we dispel the darkness around us, that we dispel the darkness that has encroached on us through our past sins or sins over our family or things that have happened to us, and that we start getting up and moving forward and believing that this is a new day and God wants to do more than I can imagine to ask or think. Back to the Scriptures. In John 8, 13-20, Jesus is God's witness. The Pharisees challenged Him. Here you are appearing as your own witness, and your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. Again, He stands between eternity and the temporal world. And He's telling us, there is a heaven, there is a hell, and I'm here to save you from the hell. I'm here to give you life. You're all going to die, but after death, you are going to have life that you're not even going to remember what you went through in the hell on this earth. I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards, I pass judgment on no one. But... This is where people are getting off in their theology today. They're trying to say, because Jesus says he came to save the world, he doesn't condemn, and he's not going to judge, that that means since he died, everyone's going to heaven. No. But if I judge, my decisions are true. There is coming a judgment. There is coming a judgment on those who have opportunity to receive Christ and don't. And the judgment is that they rejected Jesus dying on the cross to allow them to be born again and made spiritually alive and go into heaven. Their sin remains upon them. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies of myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. They, then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied, But if you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour was not yet come. I believe when he was speaking to them, even though the spirit of the enemy, the darkness was so on them, the darkness was so ready to just snuff out Jesus, still there was such a presence of God. There was just such a holiness on him that even though they were going to kill him, even though they had the intent, they could not do it because it was not God's timing. And I believe that for us, so often fears try to hold us back and intimidate us and keep us in that in that uh, cocoon of, of uh, not being who we're supposed to be or not pressing into what we're supposed to press into because God wants to show His victory through you. God wants to show you freedom of fear, that you stay in that place where darkness is trying to hold on to you and me. Jesus tells them, believe or die. John eight twenty one through 30. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Again, you know, he started this off with the woman at the well. He was giving them opportunity, but they missed it, and their heart was now hardened. Now he's telling them, you're going to die in your sin. Oh, what a... Talk about judgment. His words of confirmation of where they were going was incredible. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. I told... You that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. It's Jesus the I Am who lights the way. I'm wondering, kind of wondering how Jesus was looking at him. I think part of him was angry, and part of him was broken because he was going to give his life, and these very people were going to stand before him one day, and they were going to go to hell because they missed their opportunity. verse 25 he asked who are you who are you i'm glad i'm not living in that time i tell you i'm i'm always been the kind of like i'm with the crowd and yeah i'm but i'm not very vocal about it i'm not gonna stick my neck out who are you just what i have been telling you from the beginning imagine he was getting tired too three and a half years he knows he's gonna die there's there's an emotional part working on jesus too knowing he's facing death you know and I think the enemy's bombarding him. What good is your life? Why are you wasting your life? Remember in the beginning, when he started, before he started his ministry, he was offered, hey, I'll give you the temple. I'll give you riches. I'll give you this kingdom. Just bow down before me. Imagine the enemy is just like he does it with us. He's echoing words. Jesus replied, I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about the father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. Jesus goes on to say, again, one of the most incredible statements that we find in John. The truth will set a person free. Another key statement, as we believers have built our foundation in Christ. John 8, 31 through 47. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's a continual building. It's staying often with the truth that God gives you until you see the evidence in your life. It's a walk of faith. It's not just instantly I ask for something or, oh yeah, I see this thing in the word and I want it. It's always a taking in and letting it become rooted in us. Let it become the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives. We try may try to work certain scriptures or certain things, but only what the Holy Spirit works in us is really going to bring forth the fruit that, that He desires and the things that are going to benefit us. again, The world, in the world, we have, think of it. Think of all the problems in the world, all the problems with the economy, all the problems with government, all the problems with finances, all the problems with sickness and disease, poverty. I mean, we could go on forever. What do we deal with every day? Problems, problems. But aside from the problems is our, the the biggest thing in this world is the spiritual problem. The biggest problem that we really deal with every day is our spiritual problem. When fears are there, when, when problems are, are just screaming at us, that's what distracts us. That is what takes away our joy and takes tries to take away our faith and makes us want to just curl up and go in our bed and put the covers over our head. But really, Jesus is here to solve our spiritual problem. That he wants to, again, he wants to generate such a boldness in us that we stand up against whatever we face. A lot of us, again, would look at each other and think, I'd rather have your life than my life. I'm glad I have my life because I have enough problems with myself. And I realized at almost 60 years old that everything I struggle with is uniquely designed to show me Jesus. That the problems I face and the struggles I have with my own personality are something that Jesus is working to generate a faith. And if I had anybody else's problems or temperament or things that they went through, it wouldn't be building my unique faith and trust in the living God. So, the next problem that comes up, don't get mad at God. Say, thank you, Jesus. God, I'm going to use this problem even more, even more to, to try to latch onto you and try to get your wisdom, to try to ask, what are you wanting to do in my life? I know this problem is maybe a distraction, but what are you really trying to do in me personally? Worship team, would you come on up? You know, I'm so glad you're here because really, this is where it's at. As air. Er- Relevant as it seems with what we bring in here when we come from our, our week. This is where it's at. You know, I was reading back uh, in Zechariah chapter 14 when it was talking about the tabernacle. We talking about the, the Feast of Tabernacles, what it was all about. And and in Zephaniah, it goes, it, it springboards to the future. You know, we talked all about what the Feast of Tabernacles was going on in Jesus' day, the lights, you know, the water, all this. But did you know that... The Feast of Tabernacles was also talking about when Jesus sets up his kingdom on the earth. And he was talking about how the water is going to flow. Like rivers of water are going to flow. Literally, waters are going to flow from Jerusalem. And spiritual water is going to flow. And it says people are going to come to the temple in Jerusalem and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles there. And it says there's going to be people, because I don't understand it all, but in that season where there's another generation of people who are living out this life, and they're thinking it, everything's perfect. You know, the perfect government, perfect everything. And still, it says people are not going to go up to the temple in Jerusalem. And it says those people who don't go up to the temple in Jerusalem, they're not going to have water. (laughs) They're literally not going to have water. And And it's talking about here, even when we have a perfect environment again, that there are going to be people living in this time, who, again, when Satan's released for that short time, they're going to link with him against God. That this life has so many distractions for us, but Jesus really has the living water and he has the light that we need. As, as we just close today, you know, just take some time in worship and or just focus on whatever God's saying to you and have some holy moments with the Lord before we start. And determine when you leave here today that you are going to keep embracing the light and asking the light to dwell in you.